Before I get into what I uh, want to share this morning, what uh, I believe the Lord has put on my heart to share, um, Barry came up, and uh, come on up here, Barry. And uh, Barry, I've known for, for quite some time, and uh, his grandson is turning one, turned one today? Just just turned one, so he's a, he's a happy guy today, um, and he's celebrating today. But he, more importantly, came up with uh, just a word that he wanted to share with all of us, something that he felt that the Lord put on his heart to share. And so, Barry, why don't you go ahead and, and share? Okay. Two minutes. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, morning. Um, I was sitting there, and I was really overwhelmed um, with... The fact, well, let me tell you, I started to worship, and then the Lord started to directing me in Scripture. Philippians 1.6. How many of you know that? Okay, you will. Philippians 1.6 says, oh, somebody's texting me. Thank you, Jesus. That's, oh, who did that? <laughs> anyway, and I am sure of this, that he that hath begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, I don't like to hear my voice on this thing. Anyway, I was overwhelmed with the thought that someone here thinks that they have been abandoned. They have been left behind. And I want you to know that you have not. If your heart is sad and, and, and broken and you feel like you're not, um, like God is not good for his word, he is. And I'm, we're going to pray now. And I, and I don't know who you are. I didn't ask who you were. But if you'd pray with me, and then I'll go back and sit down, and we'll listen to what Dave says. Father God, you are so faithful. And sometimes we feel like you stand at the edge of the world and just say, I love you. But in fact, you come down, and you are very personal with us. And whoever's heart or heart's are broken, are feeling alienated, whether it's a child or an elder or whomever. The Father God says, I love you. I died for you. I care for you. And I will make this happen the way I said I would. I am faithful. Thank you, Lord, for loving this heart and caring for this person that you've seen in, in private and know their thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. I don't like But you were obedient, so thanks for being obedient to come up and, and share that. I, wa I want you to turn to uh, Ephesians 4. Um, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And I just want to read read this, um, and it's talking about Jesus. It says, He gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and then verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then it goes on, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood. And I think about that, and I think about it in light of, of Barry coming up here Jesus, according to Ephesians 4, has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the body for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. Jesus has given different types of people here in the body. And I look at Barry, 
who comes up, and I've known him for a number of years, um, dressed in overalls. People can say, okay, he's a little different. He said amen, so he acknowledges that. But I've always appreciated his prophetic heart, the, the, the heart that the Lord has given him and, and the place that he has in the body of Christ. I think of, of an evangelist and Mike Gruppen, who was up here teaching a couple weeks ago, and I so appreciate every time he gets up and teaches. But the funny thing is, and just the unique thing about Mike, is every time when he texts me, he says, hey, here are the verses that I'm going to talk about on, on Sunday. And sometimes he gets to some of them, other times he like doesn't get to half of them. But always, Romans 10, verse 9 is in there. Romans 10, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you know Mike Gruppen, you know that is the desire of his heart that people would be saved, that, would, that they would come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mike is an evangelist. He's a gift to our body. There's others in this body that are, are teachers. I see Marta out here. Marta teaching on Monday night, the women's group that, that come together. She's a gifted teacher to equip the body for the work of ministry. I could go on and on, and, and it's not just limited to a few. There are pastors, there are apostles, those who begin things. But Jesus gave these different types of people to the body. Why? To equip us for the work of ministry. And I just love that picture is because this is, is the heart of, of Jesus towards his church, that Jesus and God, they're, they're givers. We see that in the character of God, that God so loved the world that he gave. Over and over again, he gives to his, his people. And I just want us to have that foundation before we step into to this next verse of, of a, a foundation of an accurate picture of who God is, that God is a father. And just as I quoted in uh, the prayer was that God is a father. When he looks at us, he says, you who are evil as a father, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I just always want us to have an accurate picture of who God is, that we have a father in heaven who just loves to pour out gifts on us as kids and wants to do more than, than we could ever ask or imagine. In fact, turn to Ephesians 3, verse 20. Many of us has probably uh, quoted this prayer of Paul where he talks about wanting the, those in, in Ephesus to know the, the height and the depth and the width and the breadth and the love of God the Father. And then he says this in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. I love that, that phrase, and Paul is writing this, and he's like, he, to him, to God who can do far more abundantly. Like, he's just is super excited, I think, just talking about who God is and, and the fact that he can do way more beyond than we can ever ask or imagine. Far more abundantly. I'm like, that's a little redundant there, Paul. Far more abundantly. Like, I think you, you've said that numerous times. He says, how? According to the power at work within us. I look at that and I say, how does God want to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or imagine? He wants to do it through us, according to the power that is at work in us. How does God pour out his blessings on people? How does God work in this world? How does God do more than what we could ever ask or imagine? He does it through the power that he has given each one of us, through the Holy Spirit that he has put in our lives that he has given us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why I think as we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, Paul gets to the end of 1 Thessalonians, and we want to talk about this uh, this morning. He gets to the, the end of 1 Thessalonians, and he says this. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out that the Spirit's fire in your life. Paul, in, in writing to the, the church in Thessalonica, he even reminded them in chapter 1 of the Spirit that was at work in their lives even before they believed. He said this, and this isn't up on the screen, but, but Paul reminded them that the gospel came to them in, in chapter 1, came to them not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He went on to say that you receive the word in the midst of much suffering, but you also experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work in their lives in the midst of salvation, calling them into repentance and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now Paul, at the end of his letter in 1 Thessalonians 5, is saying, don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit isn't just the one who brought you in and worked in your heart. The Spirit is the one who continues to work in you, to lead you and guide you. And I often wonder, how often do we quench the Spirit in our lives? How often do we, we believe that there's the Holy Spirit, we believe there's the gift of this Holy Spirit, that God has given us, us this amazing gift in His Spirit, but how often do we quench it or do we grieve the Holy Spirit by just keeping Him kind of in the side of our lives or not paying attention or, or, or not stoking that fire in our hearts. Because Paul is saying, don't quench the Spirit. I get this picture of a fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't douse the fire of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Instead, be like a middle school boy who's a pyro. Like, stoke that fire in you. Like, it's, I give you permission today to be a middle school boy to stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Why? Because we've been given this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And I often believe, if I look at my own life, and as I talk with you guys, we often, even though we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, don't walk in the power that the Lord wants us to walk in. I think we neglect to understand the gift that we have. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is, is this amazing chapter where the believers are praying in the upper room. 120 of them are praying. And they're told to wait for the power from on high to come, for the Holy Spirit to come. And they're praying, and all of a sudden, there's a sound of a rushing wind enters the room, and there's tongues of fire that appear on their heads, and they start speaking different languages as the Spirit gives, as the Spirit leads. And people are like, what is going on? What is happening here in Acts 2? And people are like, these guys are drunk. Like, what's going on? And Peter, who was timid before, Peter stands up and he says, he says, this shouldn't surprise you. The prophet Joel prophesied this. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Do we understand how profound that is? That the Holy Spirit of God, that the same spirit of God that hovered over the, the mess in Genesis 1, over the, 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 the depths of the water, the same spirit that hovered there, God was going to pour out, not just on a few people, but on all flesh. See, in the Old Testament, the spirit would come and go and empower people for a certain purpose, for a specific reason. Moses was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to lead the Israelites. 
David was filled with the Holy Spirit to, to lead the Israelites. There were those that when it came to create the tabernacle, to create the elements in the tabernacle, they were, it says in Exodus, that they were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit to do that. And all throughout the Old Testament at the end, the prophets were always talking about a time that would come when the Holy Spirit wouldn't just come and leave, but would come and remain. And then we see Jesus in John chapter 1, Jesus being baptized. And John writes, I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove. And it didn't just descend and go. The Holy Spirit, he descended on Jesus and remained, empowering Jesus to do what he did. Didn't leave, but stayed. And later, in John 14 and 16, Jesus promised that, I, that he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to lead us and guide us. And he told those disciples, he said, you're to go and make disciples of all nations. But before you go and do that, I want you to wait here until you're clothed on power from on high. I love that picture because Jesus not only gave the disciples, gave those people direction and an assignment, but he gave them the power to actually complete that assignment. And so in Acts, we see that the Spirit falls and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But it wasn't just for those in the upper room. Look at Acts chapter 8. The gospel goes forth to Samaria. And there's persecution. And people are running for their lives. And as they get to Samaria, they share the gospel uh, with those in Samaria. And Peter and John hear of the gospel going to the Samaritans. And they're like, they go and they check it out. And this is what, they, what it says in verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, they had not yet fallen, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Fast forward to Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. So you see that the Spirit falls on those in Samaria, that it's not just limited to those in the upper room, that they had received salvation, and Peter and John were sent to them, and they laid hands on them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter again gets called to go to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who was an outsider of the, the people of uh, Israel. And the gospel is going to the Gentiles, going to the nations. And in verse 44, as, as Peter is there, he's talking, he's sharing with them the gospel. It says, when Peter, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. I mean, what a powerful picture. The same spirit that hovered over the deep in Genesis is now going to the nations, going to the entire world. And then in Acts 19, and we won't read it, but if you want to read Acts 19, 1 through 7, it's another amazing picture of, of Paul now going to those in Ephesus who have put their faith in Jesus, and he said, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, we've only received John's baptism. 
And Paul says, well, that's just a baptism of repentance. And then he prayed for them and laid hands on them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is a huge shift that takes place in the New Testament. And I wonder if we truly believe it to the point where we live it. And it's this, and I'm stealing this phrase from somebody because last week I confessed I'm not smart. But it's this, and I love this phrase. We see the democratization of the Holy Spirit from a few people to all people, from limited power to unlimited power, from one nation to all nations. And this wasn't just optional. As the apostles are going around and they're hearing, they're, they're hearing people put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're saying, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And so they go and they lay hands on people and they pray for them and the, and the Holy Spirit falls. And why wasn't it optional but essential? It was because we need to be empowered for the work that God has called us to. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly, according to the power at work in us, we need this work. We need the Holy Spirit if we're going to do the work that Jesus calls us to do. And so throughout Acts, you see that people are baptized, completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then throughout Acts, we see that they're filled with the Spirit as well. I wonder, have you ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you're like, God, I want all that you have for me. For me, it was shortly after I was married. I was exposed to, through my in-laws over here on my left, your right, to the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. I'd heard of the Holy Spirit. I had heard a little bit here and there, but I encountered my in-laws and the family and, and the, the years that they had walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was completely blown away. And I remember sitting shortly after I was married on a couch in my living room after hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, God, I'll have whatever you have for me. And it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. And why? Why is this so essential? Look at Acts 2. I just want to read this the prophecy from Joel. The whole thing. It says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I will pour out my spirit, Joel says. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy in the last days, and I will say we are in the last days. We're in the last days. The last days started with Jesus. When he came into this world, when, when the, the whole age of the church was inaugurated, this was the beginning of the last days. Now, I don't know if we are in the last days. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, and you don't either. Nobody knows except the Father. But every day, every second, it's getting closer. But we are in these last days, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, not for us just to sit around and enjoy this feeling and be like, oh, this is so nice, but no, for us to go out to have prophecies and visions and dreams and to see signs and wonders so that people will put their faith in Jesus. 
This is how God is going to work in the world. He's going to work through you and I being filled, being powered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we long to see. We long to see God move in powerful ways. We long to see it where, where people say, whoa, that was God. I mean, last week, if you were here, just to highlight one of our brothers, Rick got up and shared about faith, shared about, about how he had been just praying for Jeremy for so long and encouraging us to have faith because of, of what we're seeing happen in Jeremy's life. And I remember him standing right here, and I'm holding the microphone up to his, his mouth, and he's like, look at him, look at him. And I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm like, that's not Rick speaking. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. Like, God was here. And that's what we want, for people to, to see not us, but to people see God and to encounter God. For us to be, be filled with, to overflowing where we speak the words of God with such great boldness. For them to encounter not us, but to God who raises the dead. That's why in 1 Thessalonians, I believe it's important that Paul goes and he says, you know what, don't quench the Holy Spirit and do not despise prophecies. He says, do not despise prophecy. Don't, don't make fun of it. Don't like put it down. Don't mock it. Don't stifle it. Don't choke it. Don't despise prophecy. It's interesting. You, you probably wrote that because people were despising prophecy. People were mocking it. People were kind of putting it to the side. And he corrects it. He doesn't correct, like he corrects their thinking by giving them clarity and saying, this is what you're to do. Don't despise prophecy. Instead, test everything. Test everything. And so what is our heart supposed to be towards these gifts that the Lord pours out through the power of the Holy Spirit? Look at 1 Corinthians 14. I want to just finish with a little bit of talking about prophecy. This is, instead of despising prophecy, this is how we are to, this, is, this should be our attitude towards the spiritual gifts. Paul says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love. That's our highest goal. We're motivated by love and earnestly desire, not just casually or just kind of float through life, but, but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. First of all, is this your attitude towards the spiritual gifts? Is this your attitude towards, towards living your life saying, saying, God, I desire, I want all that you have for me. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to do what you want me to do. I need all that you want to give me. Are you constantly putting yourself in position for the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Is there a desperation of your heart? Are you earnestly desiring those spiritual gifts that, are, that we see in 1 Corinthians 12? And God gives those. The Holy Spirit gives those as He wills. Are we crying out saying, God, would you heal? Would you give wisdom? Would you give knowledge? Would you give faith? Would you, give, would you pour out your miracles? Would you help me to discern spirits? God, I need your help. Is that our heart that we're earnestly desiring that? But then Paul goes on to say, are you especially earnestly desiring prophecy? When was the last time you earnestly desired the gift of prophecy? Because that's what Scripture says, that we are to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy, that we, we are earnestly to desire this ability to speak not with our words, but to speak with God's words 
To say, God, reveal something to me. Show me something so that I can speak your words into the situation. I don't want to speak my words. Well, that leads us to ask the question, well, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? Prophecy is different, first of all, than teaching. I mean, we see that there's different gifts in the body. There's the gift of teaching. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of evangelism. There's those different gifts. And so prophecy is, is different than teaching. Prophecy can sometimes describe something that will happen. We see this in Acts chapter 11 when there's this prophet who, who warns about a, 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 a famine that's coming and saying this is coming into the world, and, and it leads to the disciples taking up a collection and sending it back to Jerusalem. We see according to uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll just read it, uh, verses 2 through 5, we see that prophecy is for the building up of others in the church. It starts in verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but God. That's a whole other conversation about speaking in tongues. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And I want all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in the tongue unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Prophecy builds up the church. Barry coming up and sharing a word builds up the church. I don't know who that was for, but that was for somebody in this room that God, does, that God sees you, that God knows you, that he hasn't abandoned you. Prophecy reveals also the heart. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Verses 24 through 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his faith, face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Scripture says that that. that this gift, the gift to prophesy, the Lord will reveal things in people's hearts to us. This happened to Jesus all the time. As Jesus walked around this earth, it said that, that he knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can give us that insight as well. And then finally, the gift of prophecy is for us to declare like, whoa, God is truly, truly in our midst. I mean, is that what we want? To be so equipped by the Holy Spirit to be able to speak words powerfully into people's lives. Sam Storms says this, and, and if you want to Google prophecy and Sam Storms, he has so much to say on, on prophecy. But he gives, gives this definition of prophecy. Prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words something the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and spontaneously revealed to a believer. I'll read it again. Prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words, something that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and spontaneously revealed to a believer. In short, I shortened it up a little bit. Prophecy is speaking something God spontaneously brings to mind. All of a sudden, we will get a picture, a thought, a word that, that, just, that just comes to us. It's like, okay, God, what do you, it's just something that, that happens spontaneously. It's not based on any personal insight or any previous knowledge that we have. It's something that the Lord gives in the moment. And what are we doing in those moments? 
Because when you get this picture, when you get insight into another person's life, it can be overwhelming. And this is what I will ask us all to do. Is first of all, if that happens in here, just like Barry did this morning, I want to invite you to share it publicly. I want you to invite, invite you to, to share it with the rest of us. I want this place to be a messier place where if, if people have a word, they feel free to share it. Now, 1 Corinthians gives direction for this. Let two or three speak and let others weigh and let them speak one by one. But I would love for us to share these words publicly. Now, I would invite you to come to me or somebody on the leadership team and say, hey, this is what I think I, I have of the Lord, like from the Lord. Like, what do you think about this? Can I share this? I would invite you, if you get something like this, to share it publicly. To share it simply as well would be the second thing. Don't complicate it. Don't add to it. Just share it simply Share it humbly. I think in, in, year, in, in recent years, and you've heard maybe through a podcast or whatever, um, where people have shared things in not a humble way, but have shared it arrogantly. And what I mean by this is they will say phrases like, the Lord told me or the Lord said. Here's what happens when somebody says that. It eliminates the ability to test so what I would invite you to say is something I try to practice, and if I ever say it differently, please, please, please call me out. But I want us to share humbly and say like, hey, I feel like the Lord is putting this on my heart. Can I share this with you? Then all of a sudden, it invites the person to test. Like, okay, they might think that this is from the Lord, and hey, they'll share it. I want us to walk around with a greater amount of humility, saying, okay, I think this is what the Lord might have for you. When it comes to sin, if you see or if you sense that there's a sin in a person's life, share sin privately with a person. Take a couple people in light of Matthew 18 and share sin privately with a person. And then lastly, in everything, share it in love. Paul says, don't despise prophecy. Don't push it to the side. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy so that you'll prophesy. Because I know we want to live our lives for the, for the glory of God to see the kingdom advance in this world. So we want to speak his words, not our own words. And what happens if you, you receive a pro prophetic word, if somebody shares something with you or if somebody shares it in here? Scripture is really clear. Test everything. Test it. Why do we test it? 1 Corinthians 13 says that, that we see in part and we know in part. We don't get the full picture. And there are times where we're going to get it wrong. And so we test everything. And I can say a lot more about this, but uh, we test everything by, first of all, does it, does it grow us? Does it push us closer to Jesus? Does it help us grow in maturity and in our relationship with Jesus? Secondly, does it, does it edify? Does it encourage? Does it build us up? If it divides or if, it, if it's, it's causing disunity, then, then throw it out. But does it encourage, does it edify, does it line up with Scripture? I think this is a huge thing. Not a huge thing, I think it's the thing. It has to line up with Scripture. And then lastly, I'd encourage you to test it together. Don't just test it by yourself. Invite others, other mature believers into that process with you. And here's the thing. Some people will say, well, Dave, isn't this pr prophetic stuff, isn't it, uh, isn't it hurtful? Can it uh, cause problems? Isn't it dangerous? Yep, it, there has been abuses. 
And it can be dangerous. But you know what? So can driving a car in the snow. It can be dangerous. But we still did it this morning, praise God. But there are clear guidelines that Scripture has given us. Don't despise prophecy. Test everything. And when it comes to testing, this is where Old Testament prophecy is different than New Testament prophecy. We don't kill the prophets if they get it wrong. It doesn't say that in the New Testament. We're not going to kill Barry. (laughs) He got it right. You test it. You test it and weigh it. And, And if you do get it wrong, I will say this. I will not, I will actually applaud a person if they get it wrong. I will applaud the heart that is seeking the Lord, that just wants the Lord to speak through them. And I will say this, there's no such thing as failure unless you're not seeking. You know, if somebody gets it wrong, okay, hey, got it wrong. You're trying. You're putting your heart out there. You're, you're, you're seeking the Lord and you only want to share what he puts on your heart to share. I so want us to grow in this. I want to grow on the, in this because ultimately it's for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus, for people to not see us, but to people see Jesus. And so I want to invite Tyler and the, the band to come up, and I want to ask you this question. Has there ever been a time where you have humbly come before the Lord with arms open and have just said, Lord, I want all of you. I don't want just a little bit. I want all of you. Will you completely baptize me, immerse me in your Holy Spirit? Will you fill me? Will you give me everything that you have for me? And I know that can be a scary, scary position to be in. Because when I did that years ago in my living room, I was like, okay, what's going to happen? But then I remembered the character of God, that he is for us and not against us, that he wants to give good gifts to his children that he sees your heart, Restoration Church. He sees the desire of your heart to live your life completely for his kingdom. He sees that in you. And he's like, I want to give you what you need to live that way. But like our own kids, they come to us and they ask for things. He's waiting. He's like, come to me and I will pour out my spirit on you. I will give you all that you need so that as you're going around West Michigan, you're going to be speaking things and all of a sudden be like, whoa, what was that? Where'd that come from? Or you go to pray for somebody and you see somebody healed or delivered and you're like, oh my goodness, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit working through me. I know that is the desire of every one of us. And so will we just ask, Holy Spirit, fill us. Completely immerse us in you. Baptize me. Let's stand together. And I want to lead us in a prayer. Father, I recognize that you are such a good Father. I want to encourage us to just to extend our arms to, out right now. Father, you are so good. Oh, forgive us, first of all. Forgive us for the times that we've grieved your Holy Spirit. We've neglected you, Holy Spirit. We've quenched the Spirit's fire in our lives. Father, forgive us for that. But I thank you that you're so gracious and compassionate and you're bringing it up again. So, Father, I'm asking that you would completely baptize us in the Holy Spirit, that you would immerse us in you, that you would fill us to overflowing, that you would just invade every nook and cranny of our lives, 
because we desperately want to be a people that live not for ourselves, but live for your kingdom. And we are saying to you, our Father, Daddy, we need you. We desperately need you to do this. So Holy Spirit, would you fall? Holy Spirit, would you just give us all that you have for us so that people will see not us, but that they would see you, Jesus. We ask that your kingdom would come in West Michigan. We ask for signs and wonders. We ask for the lost to be saved. We ask for people to be completely transformed. All by your grace and all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're wrapping up here just in a time of worship, if you would like to receive more prayer in regards to this, if you have more questions, even if want more prayer to be baptized in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a couple prayer people out in the back in the, in the lobby so that no one's going to be watching what's going on. You can just slip out and head back there. There'll be a couple people that are willing to pray with you uh, over this. So let's continue to worship.